Welcome back to Arsenal Pass Limited Time Only, Episode 2, with me, your host, Hayden Dale, one half of Arsenal Pass. This is a podcast focused on all things limited in the game of Flesh and Blood, where each and every week I bring on a different guest, a high-level limited player from the Flesh and Blood TCG, of course, to talk all things draft, sealed, level ups, and just share the expertise in the limited side of Flesh and Blood. And just like the name suggests, this is limited time only. This is a 10 episode run for season one, which is the Outsiders season of Limited. Episode one, I had Yuanji Lee join me to talk all things pre-release primer, where we broke it down. So I hope everyone had an amazing time at your pre-release over the weekend. Outsiders looks like it's going to be a fantastic set. I had a great time at my pre-release, ended up playing three pre-releases over the weekend. And uh, I, we don't, unfortunately, in this episode get to talk too much about my seal pulls from the weekend as we really focus in on my guest who had a great time at pre-release, a dominant time at pre-release, you might say, and uh, is a four, sort of a forefront of the limited space in the Southern Hemisphere, I would say. But I did get to play mostly Assassin, a little bit of Riptide, and I gotta say, I had a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Friday is the release of Outsiders, so... Draft is on the horizon. We're going to be talking a little bit of draft in this episode, our early thoughts on the draft format, as well as, you know, a look ahead to to what might happen as draft unfolds. Now, I myself will be drafting a lot this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm looking to get in a draft every single day if I can, and uh, yeah, so I can share my thoughts and views with you on the Limited Time Only podcast right here next week. Now, my guest this week is a national champion, a current national champion, someone who took my national championship title. So, you know, you might think we have a bit of beef, but we're very good friends. Nick Butcher, who is a very successful pro player as well. He's been in every single pro tour and uh, the world championships last year, is a, a top eight, multiple top eight calling. Uh, he's got three top eight callings to his name at this point. And uh, is someone that I really respect as one of the best players in the Southern Hemisphere and someone that I talk to about a lot when it comes to limited in flesh and blood we do a lot of drafting together we theory craft on a lot of things in the past when it comes to limited in this game and someone who i think just has a real knack for what it is to pick up a format really quickly so i wanted to get him on the podcast pretty early so week two my guest is nick butcher now i do want to say a massive thank you to everyone who watched episode and listened to episode one of limited time only with yuan g lee we had an amazing response a lot of views and downloads of the pod so i just want to say a massive thank you we're going to continue to to pump out great limited content be at the forefront of, of i hope limited content in flesh and blood we've got some amazing guests lined up we've got some european guests we've got some guests from asia we've got some guests from new zealand australia america and and all around the world to share the different sort of perspectives of some of the best players around the world you can check us out on spotify apple Podcasts, all those things as well as right here on youtube uh, where you do get video access to uh, what we're putting up now i do want to say with this episode that we're doing with nick butcher as well we did also record a bit of a sealed opening of outsiders to talk through kind of Really, especially how Nick goes about building a sealed pool in this format. Now, Nick had a lot of success this form, uh, this uh, this weekend. As I say, he picks things up really quickly when it comes to new limited formats. I don't think he dropped a game over the weekend. The man is a machine. Uh, he beat me in our third pre-release on the weekend, which was a we had a fantastic game that went right down to the wire. But yes, as I say, go and check out that video, sealed pool opening, and what sort of Nick looks at when he puts together a sealed pool for a format like Outsiders, the brand new format in Flesh and Blood. So let's get into it and bring in Nick Butcher to the pod. All right, joining us on the pod for episode two of Limited Time Only is Nick Butcher, the one and only Nick. Welcome to Limited Time Only. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Nick, if you're, I mean, if you're not familiar with Nick, a current Australian national champion, but I, I did say that I would let Nick introduce himself. So, Nick, if, for those that don't know who you are, don't know about your exploits in Flesh and Blood and, um, you know, just, just all things Nick Butcher, why don't you tell people about yourself and uh, what you do in, in this game? 
Uh, yeah, nothing much to say about me. My nickname is Teddy, and uh, right now me and my partner Chuck are traveling to the Ashcliff Hospital for the criminally insane on Shutter Island, and we're going to investigate the disappearance of Rachel Salando. Now, that so. is one of my favorite movies, so I'm glad you started with the... Uh, I'll give you starting with that quote, to be honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you... Uh, if you had to, if you had to say, is that your favorite movie? Mm, uh, I'm a big fan of Goodwill Hunting. Big fan of, I'm a big fan of Leo in general. I know he's only Goodwill Hunting, but like in general, I, that would come to mind as my favorite right now, which is exciting because Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are doing another movie. Indeed. Together. Soon. Yeah. We have it. We'll go back onto Flesh and Blood for a little bit at least. Uh, of course, this past weekend, we've just been playing pre-release for Outsiders. Nick, me and you got to actually play a game of Outsiders Sealed on Sunday. Uh, it was like second round of the last Sealed pre-release of the weekend, which was lots of fun. I know you played three Sealeds yeah. over the weekend. How, I just want to ask you, first mm-hmm. of all, like, how, did you, how did you find the format? You've played Flesh and Blood since basically the start. Now you've played Sealed in a lot of formats, including Welcome to Wraith, Arcane Rising, Monarch, Tales of Aria even. Uh, yep. what, what, did you, what do you think of this format? I love it as a, as a casual thing. When it comes to competitive, who knows what could happen when you actually have to have serious stakes. But for a casual event, and especially with upcoming skirmish season, I'm hyped and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I th- I think the the one thing that people have been like, it all seems pretty positive. That's kind of been my my takeaway from you know, looking at Fab Twitter and hearing people over the weekend. People were generally having a lot of fun. I know you were at the uprising world premiere and by about round five i think people were done with playing uprising seal the format was pretty solved by about round five of that world premiere i think so this yep. feels like it's got a whole different kind of vibe to it right there's a lot more depth to this it, do, would you agree i i said that i to, to some friends i think this is the deepest seal format uh, that we've had by by far actually yeah i think i agree to be honest uh, people will just say that it's all about piles but there's there's a lot of intricacies to, to things like that as well so I'm excited for people to learn about that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in this pod. So we're going to get into all things, including, you know, the term fatigue by damage as opposed to fatigue by blocking, which Nick is also a big fan of discussing. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about the sealed pre-release over the weekend? How did you go? What did you play over the three sealeds? We are going to look at some pools as well, including yours yep. and, and one of mine. But just for everyone out there, how did how did the pre-release go for yourself? Yeah, they were fun. That, that's the most important thing, right? Like, I, honestly... As long as you had a good time, that, that was all that mattered at these events. And I was happy playing against a 30-people event, a 20-person event, a tw- another 20-person event. And so like, that's the most, most important thing, is just having a good time. And unfortunately, I didn't pull anything good. So that was a, a downer. But it is what it is. <laughs> that's true. I mean, you did pull three Cold for the Zuri's, technically. That true. By winning true. three sealed, sealed events. But, but yeah. nothing good. I got a Legendary on Sunday. Uh, and then Nick still beat me, so I feel like I, I I won, but I also lost, you know. But that's what made it fun. I had to play around Flick Knives. You did have to play fun. around Flick Knives. That was a good game. We had a, we had a great sealed game, actually, in uh, in round two of our pre-release. One question I'll ask you. We're going to get into some outsider's tips on sealed, and, you know, there's a lot of things coming out with skirmish season. Uh, but one thing I want to ask you is, do you think the outsider sealed could be repurposed for more than just a skirmish season? So skirmish season six will feature sealed and uh, draft, if you're not if you're not familiar. But could you see this as being a, a ProQuest format, a calling format even, a, a Road to Nationals format? Yes and no. So it's easy to say because perhaps me, you, other people are looking through rose-tinted glasses where it was fun. And so it would be fun to translate that to a calling event. But 
I don't think the format was balanced around sealed, and so I don't think it's going to happen. But I would play a sealed event with stakes. You know, absolutely. It's just, would they want to do that? Is going super deep make it better or does it make it worse? And so, like, I think it's safe just to make it a more casual-based event, which is fine. Like, I think there should just be casual-level formats. So I'm happy with both, but I don't want someone to play a calling, get, like, a horrendous deck, and you just can't do anything, which, which could happen, right, if it's not balanced co completely towards the sealed format. Yeah, and it's good to finally have a sealed format that is really, I think, you can utilize for casual level formats. And I personally think Limited should be a format that can bring players into the game because it's super accessible. You don't have to have a deck to play. You can just rock up with your, you know, your $30 or whatever for entry and, and play your sealed event at locals or at a skirmish, for instance, or whatever it might be. And that, mm -hmm. that should be a good way to get players into the game. Um, and I don't think we've quite had that because of Uprising and, and Tales for sealed. We weren't particularly great formats, to be honest, but this feels like a lot more... Uh, balanced format that you can have at that level and maybe it doesn't go beyond that i mean i think i could see this at a calling level but maybe that wouldn't be the right decision um but yeah i think the main thing for me the big takeaway is that we've got a seal format that i feel comfortable bringing new players into oh yeah definitely because uh, to me uh, Arc arcane to uprising were just abysmal sealed formats yeah. like but anyway digress and even wtr it's just even then it's just you look back and it's like eh it's okay you know I've played some WTR since, you know, obviously we did the uh, draft events with Farewell to Wraith, but I've actually played a couple of Sealed since then. And yeah, the format isn't all that I remember it to be. And this is definitely, I think, even a step up on that, which is great. Why don't we jump into, I guess, first part of the pod, which is how to score wins in Outsiders Sealed. Uh, as sort of Sealed as a format, obviously you, you did it. Uh, you didn't drop a single game over the mm -hmm. sealed so clearly that just means that you know you, you, you it's, the pre-release is all it's everything if you if you win a sealed that's that's actually all that matters right nick it may make you the best player in the world surely surely <laughs> um i love the discourse like uh brendan patrick is you know arsenal past fame shouted out on twitter said everyone on my twitter feed is 5 0 and 4 their seals i don't understand <laughs> everyone's winning and, he, and here i am going 13 and 0 and saying man the real winners are the person that people that pulled legendaries and marbles and stuff you know I feel like They're I won the real winners of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So what does that tell you? <laughs> Let's talk about some tips for deck construction, first of all. I think this is a really important part of Outsiders Sealed in particular. I mean, it's important for every every part of, I think, Sealed in this game is how you construct your deck. But um, I have some things I want to ask you about because you you I know you messed around with like your pools. You looked at a few different options. You saw other people's pools over the weekend. Yeah. And I think the first thing to get out of the way is the overwhelming majority of people and people who are winning events or i guess this is anecdotal but we saw this in our our meta as well like people were defaulting to assassin as the way to yep. you know by sort of late saturday sunday the sort of second and third pre-release events people were, were playing for lack of a better term assassin piles you know they're playing more than 30 cards which i i think is actually just generally correct and sealed anyway but um what do you think the viability of katsu benji and azalea because i did not see a lot of those heroes i did not see those mm -hmm. heroes have success i did not see my pools really ever lean towards those and i saw a lot of people's pools not leaning towards those. so do you think they're viable and sealed no not particularly so that's the reason why the sealed format is probably not based for balancing or why they, the company didn't didn't base towards sealed at all because Things like Benji and Katsu and Sealed, like if you look at your pool, like for my three pools, it wasn't even close to playing any of those heroes. They require so much. So Benji and Katsu require a lot of zero-cost blues. They require combinations of cards, and they don't have standalone strong cards. And most of them are in rare, like spinning wheel kicks are rare. And I think I pulled one Twin Twisters 
in red, sorry, one Twin Twist is red in all my pools. So like, it's very unlikely you're going to get multiples of those kinds of cards. And it's just very difficult, especially because you have Kadachis, but all your cards block for two, which is the reason why Azalea, Katsu, and Minji are not as strong as things like Riptide, which can fatigue you by damage, or uh, the Assassin classes, because you can just throw a pile of block threes together and call it a day. Yeah, you just have, you're going, if you are going to play one of the Ninja Heroes, you are going to have less cards that defend for three, because your class cards, majority of them defend for two. So mm -hmm. you're already in a tougher position, and then you need the zero cost to play your Kadachis, like you say, and then so it's not to say that you you can't have a, a good katsu or benji deck i saw a couple of um pools that people had posted online and and some people did have strong katsu and benji decks but i my kind of estimate is it's around like honestly like i think if you're in a room of like 30 or 40 people there's gonna be one or two ninja pools that are probably correct to play ninja i think it's if that probably one in 30 40 i think it's it's really hard to pull together a really strong ninja pool in in this format yeah and i think it wouldn't be benji if it was that strong I think it would Maybe. just be a card deck. Because yeah, the combo cards probably take you over the top, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And you can just not block them out and just get more damage hmm. than they can defend slash deal back. Yeah, playing a little bit like Fi in Uprising. You know, you're just playing just mono yep. like hit jabs and attacks and power through in sort of five or six turns before you run out of gas. Yeah, except Katsu doesn't have Lava Burst or, or nine different kinds of head jabs, so a bit difficult. Ones of Ancestry is kind of like Lava Burst if you have the cards to go with it that's a rare <laughs> <laughs> true true uh what about azalea I, I think my kind of big takeaway on azalea is that riptide's hero ability is just too important in yep, this format it's way better it's way better as well i think uh it's too unreliable to get enough cards in your pool to look at the top cardiac deck to consistently get a dominated arrow off and then you're just sacrificing a better hero text at that point to, to go for it yep yeah i completely agree that was my experience i think I, I saw a couple of people trying to play Azalea and they, they just didn't have the card economy because they were having to play more awkward hands, having to block more because they couldn't utilize. The good thing about Riptide as well, the one of the most powerful things about their hero ability, and when I say hero ability, I'm talking about this like free reload, this put a card face down to your mm -hmm. arsenal, is that it means that you then get to, first of all, not pay a resource to use your bow and then also get to use your bow for an extra damage with the aim counter, which is actually really, really massive and that just gives you more opportunities to play your whole hand out. Like you play a card from hand, at least you put a card into your arsenal, if you even have the go again arrow, you can even use your bow for another arrow. Like it just gives you so much more options playing Riptide as opposed to Azalea. So I, I would really struggle to see an Azalea pool. I think in this um in this format, unless you just randomly have like the god amount of pumps and like the best red arrows, and you just dominate people for days and just kill them. Yeah, and even then, you'd still need you still can only play one arrow per turn of off Azalea of the of the bow. So like you, you, you can't even play multiple arrows. It's yeah. like, uh, like Falcon Wing. LNCF. Yeah, you can't even use Falcon Wing. <laughs> yeah. You need to have an Arsenal to start with. I think you, and then you need to... Yeah, well, exactly. You can't even get the aim counter. So. Yeah, the other thing, it's hoops as well. It's just yeah. the... Um, so I guess the question is, uh, let's go back to some ranges. I think we're kind of putting Azalea to the side uh, for the reasons we've talked about. We think Riptide is the more dominant. And this is what Yuanji talked about on episode one last week. We talked about... He really said that he thought Riptide was going to be the way to go with, with Assassin. I said, well, oh, I with Ranger. I said, oh, maybe, maybe Azalea's good. I'm clearly wrong. Uh, do you, would, you, would you play Riptide? You know, I know you played Assassin across the three. You swapped between Arachne and Azuri. But would, would you play Riptide in this four seal format? Or would you just default oh, to Assassin? Absolutely. The only problem with Riptide is that you do, need have, you do need a specific set of cards, right? Like, you do need pump spells. You do need arrows and... You're not always spoiled for the for, for choices with with those kinds of cards, but so it's very strong, 
but you do need the pool for it as well. So, well, let's just talk about that quickly. What, what does a good Reptite did look like then, do you think? Uh, definitely the the pump spells. The uh, lace words, the, the lace, lace, scout the yeah. peripheries. Yeah, they're very strong. Uh, I love scout the periphery. That card's a fantastic, fantastic card. Um, Falcon Wing is a very, very strong card. As well as even things, even things like Seek Horizon, very good card in that deck. Um, Ravenous Rabble, I was very underwhelmed with Ravenous Rabble, but if you're playing all these Scarlet Peripheries, maybe there's more consistency with it. But all those kinds of cards, and then obviously Red Arrows, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm not good with the names of cards, so the, the arrow that gives a Blood Rot Pox is very strong. All, all of them actually pretty decent. The, the Frailty one is very good as well. So... If you can get pump spells and get a consistent 10 attack on hit effect to make them block with all of their cards, then they're just going to end up running out of cards in deck because you have too many on hits for them to deal with. Yep. I, I, so my last round of... So round five of my second sealed on Saturday, I played into a Azuri pile. I think he was running like 40 cards-ish, 41 cards. And I, I, we basically got to fatigue where he was going to fatigue. I ended up be, being able to kill him uh, with a trap, actually, at instant speed. Uh, but he was going to fatigue, if not for that. Um, because, yeah, you just you present damage and you actually fatigue them by forcing them to have to use their cards on defense. Uh, even though they have the daggers, you just get better card economy with these great red arrows. I think my kind of takeaway was that I really think you need minimum six red arrows and probably a good maybe a good way to recur it. Like maybe you got lucky and opened a codex of <laughs> frailty um, or, or something like that. Um, but I think you really need around like six red arrows and, and at least four or five would be good or at least some good yellow ones like the, like the blood rot, um, pox arrow, like the withering shot, uh, things like that to make it, to make it so that you have enough damage density. And then those good generics, you just, a lot of the time you're just playing like two card hands. You just block with two cards and you just present a threat with some of the red generics and take two or three cards from your opponent. It's still really, really good. Yeah. Oh, another insane card which we might get into like in the, in the in the later stages of this thing with over and under cards. The it's not a cycle, but like it's the it's a blue, and then when they block with a blue, if it has an aim counter, I think they the blues get minus one like when flitch they flitch a blue tail, flitch yeah, yellow that tail, one red tail. Is yeah, crazy late game. That card is crazy because then they just have blues left in their deck, and you have to just pitch it because it's a blue, and they just cannot do anything to that. It's nutty. Yeah, Fletcher Blue Tail is like maybe better than Fletcher Red Tail. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's, it's just such a good late game card. It's it's sort of like Hurl in a yeah. way where like it's just a nuts late game inevitability card. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like um, it's in draft. It might be a little bit less impactful. I don't know. We don't know yet how second cycle is going to play. But in sealed, you, and you're playing Ranger, people are going to try and fatigue you. You're going to go to second cycle. That card has so much value. It's it's ridiculous. Oh yeah. Let's, uh, I mean, anything else to say about kind of what a good Riptide deck looks like? I think those generic, I see Horizon was the overperformer for me in, in Riptide by a, a yeah. large amount, I would say. Yeah, that card's amazing. Because yeah, of the hero ability. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, four card hand, one card hand, it's just fantastic. The other, the last card I'll shout out for Riptide in particular is the chest equipment. So Tunic or, or Tunic by far is the best one. It's very bad Tunic because you... You activate the hero ability with something like Sick Horizon, you put your one cost arrow and then you can play it straight out. So you can play like a three card nine damage hand, which is really, really gas. Or you yeah. can uh, you can also play Silken Gear and that's also really good. But those those chest equipments are just great in general. Yeah, especially especially with Death Touch, which is the, definitely the best card. Agree. So <laughs> defaulting to Azuri Arachne, do you think that's going to be just the majority correct decision? Like, is it more a case of now when you sit down to build your sealed deck, 
the first thing you do is rule out Kaltu, rule out Ranger, and then mm-hmm. just go to your assassin pool. Is that kind of the way to do it? Yeah, I, I think so. It's it's not hard to rule out Ranger. Another important thing about piles is that on a basic level, it's very easy just to put a pile together, attack with daggers. Whereas when you're playing Riptide, you actively have to think and memorize pitch stacks. And like, listen, if if, if you're if you're playing for fun, cool, that's awesome, right? Like, you know, play whatever you like. Let's not let's not say never play these things. You play what you enjoy playing. But like, if you want to like play full competitive, try hard, win your skirmishes, it's very hard to like play a perfect Riptide games into five fatigue decks or six fatigue decks every single round. So it, 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 it you should uh, that's a thing that you should remember when entering these events with Riptide. It's very difficult to play. Yep. Shout out to the tall Timmy. We played in round four yesterday and he sat down and said, I'm so exhausted from playing. He was playing Riptide. I'm so exhausted from all three of my rounds so far going to time against Azuri piles effectively. He won. He was three and oh, or he was, yeah, he was three and oh. He got the pair down into me. He was three and oh at the time. Um, so shout out to the tall Timmy. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely taxing, but it's fun. Yeah. I will say. Yep, absolutely. How many cards to play? That's the next question. You know, obviously people started the, the weekend, a lot of people, majority of people probably playing 30, 31, 32 cards. By the end of the weekend, I saw people playing 42 cards. Like, what, what is the right number of cards to play in your outside the sealed deck? If you're playing a... I think Riptide should just play most of the cards uh, when he's playing into into most matchups, just, just because he does have such a high damage output and he's prone to fatigue. So playing, the more, playing more cards in your deck, even bad blues... Maybe that's the difference. Attacking with that blue when they have no cards in deck or one card in deck, and they're only attacking with the the weapon, is enough for you against fatigue. So I'd say a lot of cards for uh, Riptide with Assassin. I'd like to think you play twice as many cards as you have block threes. So if fifty percent of your deck is block threes, that's probably a good number. Any more than that, you're just going to have like a cloggy block two hands that just you're just not going to be able to do anything. And then they're going to be able to just it doesn't matter if your card quality isn't at least decent. Like I'm not going to play a blue rabble ju- just because it's, it's, it's a blue and that means it's going to be my 47th card. You know, it just doesn't it's not going to do anything. So I'd rather just have twi- good, good card quality more than anything. So I, I was playing 40 with 20. Uh, block threes or like i was playing 38 i think with 18 or 19 block threes that's the that's just the rule i went with i don't know if that's real or not i just made it up in my head but like it worked out so yeah i think there's a really good so i want to go back and compare those two examples that you've just given because i think the way to kind of the way i was seeing this is that riptide you don't have a weapon right so you need your cards in the late game to be able to present damage even if they're blues you know blue cut down to size that was called that that card's like great in the late game fantastic yeah Yeah, it's two for four it's you know it's it's actually really good in the end game because you're just fighting for just trying to push damage that's going to force your opponent to block and they're going to have a bunch of these blue two blocks and stuff in their deck now the difference with arachne obviously that you have access to these daggers so you can turn your blues into dagger attacks and you know they're not it can be a little bit awkward obviously they're not quite kadachis but they are very very good so you do get a bit more damage economy through your daggers and if you start to like nick's saying pull your deck with you know a bunch of bad cards that are close to unplayable really fringe cards you're going to get these awkward hands and you're probably not even going to get down to fatigue in a lot of these assassin mirrors because you've just you've just died because you just had so many awkward hands that didn't do enough damage or you had to block with all these bad two blocks and you just leaked too much that you actually just died before you even get to 
that end game state. So it's a balancing act. I kind of see it like a bit of a curve. You know, as you go up the curve, adding cards, you're probably in the right direction as you're adding good cards. You get to a point where you start to add bad cards to your deck and it starts to, you know, your deck power level starts to plummet off the other side as well, or the, how strong your deck is. Yeah, there's such a thin margin between fatiguing and fatiguing by damage. Like, you have to very much balance that, like, the perfect balance, you know? <laughs> yeah, do you want to... So, we've talked about this already. We've kind of alluded to this fatiguing by damage and fatiguing. Do you want to Do you want to try and explain kind of to people what the, what the difference is? Like, what is fatigue by damage when we say that? Yeah, so the simplest way to do it is by set is using uh, Guardian as an example in Constructed or whatever yep. format that, that, that you enjoy. If my if I keep playing red attacks that stop your turn and you have to keep blocking with a bunch of cards in your from your hand, I'm pitching multiple cards and you're blocking with more than the cards that I'm attacking you with. So if I keep presenting you with on hits that you keep having to block, then I'm just going to get more and more cards in my deck and you're going to lose more and more cards and threats in your deck. So if I just keep attacking with Spinal Crush or Crippling Crush or Terror Thunder over and over again, and you have to keep blocking with cards and losing cards from your deck, I'm only losing one card. You're losing three cards to stop my on-hit because this is stopping you from playing. You're eventually going to run out of cards in your deck, and then you just lose, which is what Fatigue by Damage is, where you've had to just keep blocking because I've just presented too much damage and value for you to deal with. Yeah, you're, you're effectively losing... You're forcing... By fatiguing your opponent via damage, you're forcing them to block with good cards because you're presenting damage so yeah. you know let's just say on a average deck in this format say we've you know we've decided to both play 36 cards in a deck we're playing assassin and removing taking away daggers so not talking about the dagger attacks but we have let's say we both have about 120 damage in our deck right from from attack actions let's just kind of say it, it could be more could be less that's not a, an accurate scientific number I'm just giving a number and i attack into nick and i force him with my death touches and some really good on hit effects to start to defend and he has to defend with like a red spring load or maybe his red death touch all of a sudden you know if he's blocked with those two cards that's that's 11 damage gone from his deck just to block out my my six damage so that's kind of what it that's kind of what happens you you're fatiguing by damage by forcing your opponent to have to use their good damage cards to defend yours and you're getting better economy out of your cards better damage rate out of your cards and in the end game that really matters when you get down to the bottom of your deck maybe you have a life lead because of this because they chose not to try and they chose to try and save some red cards or maybe you have like an actual just density of card lead and good card lead because of this and they just have only blues that they've been pitching to play cards and they've had to block and attack with the rest of their good red cards maybe you got to pitch a couple of yellows or reds or something so that's kind of what it looks like as opposed to fatiguing by blocking which is the traditional way you'll see with a lot of these fatigue guardians into um in previous formats and so like ultim into something like briar where it was just you know block 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 and you just run them out of threats by trading all your cards on the defensive side but you you can't do that in this format because so many cards defend for two like nick just said you know trying to play two to one ratio on your or one to one ratio rather on two blocks to three blocks that that's a really good number but there's so many two blocks in this format there's so many awkward breakpoints. Spider's Bites really hamper a lot of good defending because they, they take away that opportunity to turn cards into the defensive value. Yeah, that's why Chaff, like playing too many cards, doesn't actually help you in a mirror match because if you just have four blue attack actions and they come with the Spider's Bite, you're just going to block with one of those cards anyway because your hand does nothing. Mm-hmm. And so then you just lose the tempo that way and then your cards in deck are redundant because they didn't do anything and then you have to block with them anyway versus the Spider's Bite. So I wanted to, I had this question, my next kind of question is like, what does good look like? And I wanted to talk about that. Where's kind of the cutoff point? Let's just say if we're playing Azuri or Arachne, we've decided, you know, we've got a, a reasonable range of pull. We've kind of, we've done the first thing. We've ruled out Katsu, we've ruled out Benji, we've ruled out 
uh, our ranges because we just don't have the the threat density what what does good look like like what are the cards that you are on the fringe of like playing or not playing like I'll, I'll give the kind of first example like a card like yellow plunge to me is like that's a class card or a hybrid card rather, but not a card i'm particularly excited about for instance like it's a two block it's two damage on offense like that's not a card i'm particularly excited about what i don't i'm not good with names of cards, oh sorry so that's I don't the, know that's the that. one cost go again if it hits your next dagger gets plus one attack oh okay yeah cool uh yeah no no i don't want i don't want that one in in, in anything but red realistically yep blue so, maybe just for late game but meh. yeah and, and that's kind of where i see that kind of that's the line is like when i'm starting to get to the point where cards are underrate on both offense and defense like and they don't provide me with a special effect and when i say special effect it's something that could so like yellow um yellow i want to call it moments peace is that what it's called <laughs> Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Yeah. pieces from magic. Peace of mind. You know, that card is like, that's on the fringe for me. Because I'm like, okay, some matchups I probably want that. Some matchups I, I don't. Like, probably into Ninja, I might particularly not want that. Because it's a little bit like I'm having to pay a blue to get three damage. Unless I have a Seeker's equipment. In which case, I'm like more yep. keen to play that. Whereas on the other hand, I'm like, red, peace of mind. I'm playing all those in every matchup. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, the, I think you play as many peace of minds as Seeker's equipment. If that's like a good way that I put it. If I have two Seeker's Equipment, I'll play two Peace of Mind because then I get the value off the yellow one. And Seeker's Equipment are way better than Blade Break against the Mirror Match because the piercing on the weapons. So you can pitch one, stop their weapon attack, they come with another attack, you Peace of Mind it, and then that's just super value. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I think that is kind of what it what it looks like what about number of blues uh let's let's talk about ranger first because i have a bit of experience with this i think you don't actually need that many blues in ranger i think um you know your blue class cards are going to really overperform they're going to block well in the late game and you get to play your generics and things like that uh but i don't think you need to be too worried about blues you can actually play reasonably well off yellows especially if you have zero cost yellow uh zero cost arrows and also if you're just playing generics in the mid game i think you can actually just get away with a lot of yellows so like you know, if you're playing a 40-card Riptide deck, I think, honestly, like, 12 blues is, is fine. But what what about it? Maybe you disagree, Nick, but I was going to ask, what about Assassin as well? I was playing around 12 blues in Assassin with 40 cards. I, I think it's perfectly fine. Like, you're going to need one, two blues, even zero blues some turns, because you can just block them a little bit, come in with a zero for three, or a virulent touch from Arsenal, or just, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing. you don't need to do anything special, really. Yeah, and sometimes you can actually just pitch the yellows to dagger. You don't need to, especially if you yeah. have like a lot of zero costs, or um, you know, you're you're not going to have actually value from that one resource of the blue. Like, that's kind of something I found. I, I thought you wanted a lot of blues in Assassin, something that me and Yuanji talked about last week for Spiders Bites. But actually, it's actually not often that relevant unless you have cards like Spring Load or Death Touch out of Arsenal. These kind of one costs, which are actually pretty premium, and you're not going to have that many. You're going to have more. You're going to have zero costs as well. And that's why I love a card like Feisty Locals. Pitch yellow and then come in with your Feisty Locals. Like something like that is, is great. So. Um, yeah, a lot of options. Especially because double spiders biting is pretty redundant because they'll just block the second spiders bite and negate the first one. So it's kind of, eh. Yeah, double spiders bite is only really relevant in late game situations and fatigue, really. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it came up a lot less than I thought, to be honest. Like holding two blues yeah. to be able to do that and play a two cost generic, you're often better just like blocking with one card and just playing the two cost generic, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, any other questions, I guess, for outsiders? I mean, what about like. Okay, let's talk about defensive power. You talked about playing like a one-to-one -one ratio is kind of the thing you look for in, in your assassin decks in particular. How important are these defense reactions? Like my kind of takeaway, we talked about this off, you know, kind of off mic in the last couple of days, but the defense reactions just overperformed in this format. Oh, they're amazing. The fact that they just block three as well is 
and instant speed just like kind of get your opponent if they overcommit to something is just super strong. I love them a lot, especially the frailty one because it's just always good against every deck and the inertia one can get people like they get, it can get people really bad especially against um riptide because they, their attack is higher and they want to play five card hands so you just inertia them when they come in with their pump guy and then they can't use that last card in hand so it just goes away it's yeah. super strong the blood rot one is pretty mediocre That's i think it's yeah, it, only in the Azura Mirror is it really decent, and even then, you're you're not actually using the effect as much as I thought you would. No, you're often you blocking have, with it earlier. Have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you just don't have enough good swap targets to to get to get it off very often. And then it's more it's very like a oh they had they had the swap into a six power ah oh, I drew it on that exact turn. It's like I don't like cards like that. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's also great for Ranger and to Assassins for, to a degree, yeah. but I mean, the, the, I think I agree. Frailty was the one that overperformed massively and Inertia was also really... Like, the thing, the reason that mm -hmm. Inertia tokens were a lot better than I thought is because playing out your hands is actually quite difficult in this format, especially in Assassin Mirrors. There's a lot of, like, cat and mouse on blocking and stuff like that and Arceline, once someone blocks a Spider's Bite, for instance, so they don't get value out of their three block on your, on your attack. So the Inertia was just, like, a lot better than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Yeah, I kind of like sitting on defensive cards in Arsenal until I really need to use them. And so, like, I didn't have much success with the Post Malone card. Really it, kind of, it kind of got stuck a little bit because they, they wouldn't pressure me very much and then I would just have the defense Rex in Arsenal and I'd have to, in my hand, it's like, oh, I guess I'll pitch it for later, but it's just not very efficient use of my cards. Yeah, I felt the same. I mean, the, the, what actually, the better ones were like, I was finding just blue and yellow good for like late. Like the red one was awkward. I was often finding it really awkward, but the, the yellow yeah. and blues where I was pitching felt, felt a lot better. Yeah, and then late game, they have to block with a card or <laughs> yep. they die. Yep, it's just such a good trade late. Uh, all right, let's talk about, uh, I guess, some of these some of these cards from, from the weekend, like cards that maybe mm -hmm. overperformed, underperformed for us. Why don't we talk about some of the cards that we think are maybe flying a bit under the radar in this format? Maybe cards that if you're heading to, you know, skirmish season coming up, the cards that you may should maybe paying a bit more attention to giving a bit more respect to have you got something you want to kind of throw out first nick i've i don't think it's under i think maybe so a couple of people i never saw even one so they got cast against me i i call it chicken pox <laughs> chicken pox is the when you when they give you a token you give them the same token and then repeat it's the zero for four yeah i think it's called so, a fictitious host i think yeah yeah cool 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 so chicken pox freaking it's just it it's just so good as it just is a zero for four and has a bonus effect on it someone dropped that against me when i gave him a frailty token i was just like oh jesus christmas oh god i how am i gonna deal with this one now my turn is just weak and i just lost tempo I, I saw someone cast it and um, give their opponent two tokens. It was a, a, a blood rot and a, a frailty, and I was like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, that card is super, super, super good. Another card I like is Hurl. It's a rare, but every color of Hurl is amazing. Like The, fa it, the blue one's the best one, but the fact that the red's just a zero for three go again is just, just where I kind of want to be. And then it also just has the late game power if you draw it late of the, all right, you're on one less health in the late game because I ping you for damage that you can't stop unless you have the Seeker's equipment. And that's just 
very underrated, especially since I had to play around uh, flick knives. I know the power of dealing one damage from uh, destroying a dagger. That's not bad. Very it's good. It's not bad. <laughs> I think from uh, from my side, I mean, we can just kind of go back and forth as a few cards, but I mean, one of the cards that really overperformed, and I think people were under utilizing, and if they opened multiple arm slots, were often kind of prioritizing as the least important. They were playing Blade Break over this, but Fisticuffs, like, I think this, so Fisticuffs mm -hmm. is the attack reaction that gives plus one, and people were, I had someone say to me, that, oh, I don't have any things that care about um, attack reactions, like none of the cards will say if you play, you know, activate an attack reaction. I was like, ah, oh. and then I looked through their deck and they had cards like, uh, they had like on hit effects and they had uh, like toxicity in their deck. And I was like, oh, I think you should be playing Fisty Cuffs. That, that card, that just the threat of activation is, is one part is huge, but also you just, it's just a damage at some point in the game. It's actually way more vital than I thought. So it, it's actually the one damage and paying two for it. it it's not that big yeah. deal. And sometimes it can be worth like two, three, four damage. Especially when you just go like pitch blue, cast your the death touch from arsenal mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like well what you block do? six then yeah if you block seven it's like okay well i'm not going to use fisticuffs then it's just like oh when then you're in a rock and hard place and then there's also spots where it's like you just pitch for a dagger and then you come with like a zero for four and then you just have the bare bone tunic the bear whatever the tunic's called a uh, three bear tunic yeah 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 that and the fact that it's a sick combination, those two cards together, they don't block, but man, do they threaten so much, you know, on board damage just being there when you have no cards in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, what about what about overrated cards? What about cards that you think people were sort of a bit too high on? Things that people were like, oh, I didn't open X, and that means my pool sucks, or people were like, oh, I open X out of these, and it makes my pool real good, and obviously don't say Death Touch because that card is busted. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to complain about that one. I, I won because I pulled a couple of those in each of my things, which are very fortunate of me. But the card I hate is Rabble. Only one person hit up red off Rabble, and every other time it was a blue, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> oh, no. And another, it was just never in impactful. And another card that I didn't like was the, the Post Malone. Touch, it's yeah. just hard to get that into arsenal if you're not playing riptide and you want to just sit on a good card in your arsenal yeah. it just gets stuck in your hand and the red one doesn't pitch for anything and if you if you don't have like if they're on a if they're on the back foot they can just get back in the game because you just can't use it and you just have a card in your arsenal and you just left with extra cards at the end super underwhelming i found yeah and even like people like well like oh but you like azuri the red one and i was like okay you're azuri the red one you've put you know that you've used a stealth card which you could have used for something potentially more impactful i blocked with maybe your opponent blocked with one card you leak one damage plus give them a blood rot which they potentially have the option to pay for still let's so see you yeah. you played two for six at best at best and sometimes worse it just i agree the red one i thought was going to be a lot better but your arsenal is just really really valuable as assassin i did mm -hmm. find in riptide it was a lot better though um yeah, but still could sometimes be awkward because you wanted to you know prioritize for an arrow although you could pitch the red one a bit easier in riptide as well which is nice oh yeah and another card i don't like are the just the the they are the attack reacts they give plus three and they cost one and they give you the, the one of each token oh no they give you the one of each, oh that one too that one's just the that one's terrible that one's just awful i don't think anyone underrated that i don't think anyone overrated spike that with, one you're talking about the spike yes with, yeah yes oh interesting people overrated those i wasn't a fan of i was i wasn't a fan of those when people cast them against me honestly often it's really telegraphed because of the way yeah. that you have to because they cost one which is actually like an awkward cost if to put onto an attack 
Yeah. Um, but I, I, one thing I will say about them is they do defend three, and that is huge. And sometimes yes. they, you know, that that blood rot, even the frailty, like the frailty one, could be huge when your opponent's trying to swing a big turn, starting with a dagger or something, it could be worth yeah. a one for five, which, which is really big. But it's it's not. I think it's a lot better it, in Azuri when you can disguise it as an attack potentially. Yeah, you're gonna snap it and play it because it's not an attack action. It blocks three, so it gets around spiders by it. But it's just when you're on offense, don't get greedy and with it, it because yes, do not try and keep it and try and resolve it because your opponent's definitely holding reacts. They definitely can have blood rot one and blow you out. It's good to it's good to have as a defensive card more than anything, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that short and sharp. Oh god, ugh, take a brother. Oh, awful. Yeah, that card really underperformed for me. <laughs> I was uh, even even the red one. It's like so awkward. You're like, oh, play it on a dagger, and so I'm paying. Three resources for four damage and two cards. Yeah, not, not, not really where I want to be. Um, I think I agree with you on Ravenous. I think, um, like, I had a, a couple of reds in my pool on Sunday, and they, they did some work, but it's the problem is, is, like, the trying to understand when you should play them. And they're just often, you know, if you're like, okay, my average is probably a yellow in this deck, so it's my average is probably three attack. Is that really what I want at a two defense? Even if it does have go again? Yes, it does help you play your hand, which is really important, but sometimes it comes up with two... I think it's a lot better again in Riptide. It helps you activate that hero ability. But um, yeah, it was a bit more underwhelming in, in just overall, actually. Like when I saw people play it, when I played it. And my last one was just, um, I want to say Brush Off. I think Brush Off was like both uh, a card that was a bit underrated, mostly by me, yeah. and a card that I think was overrated by other people. And I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I think that card's good, but I yeah, destroyed so many people playing Brush Off and then getting crushed because i then boosted my power or something <laughs> yeah but that yeah but it also is just another react as well which katsu in draft will, will use right so sure. i think it's another card underrated there's a small application but hey listen the peter pan shoes <laughs> the fleet foot sandals the, the, yeah. yes I, I should i should just i actually have a tab open i should just scroll down no nah, no nah, everyone's loving your uh, names for these it's fine um <laughs> That, like, in the late game, when you come in for one with an assassin attack and you're, like, baiting uh, a Azuri effect and they block you out, it's like, okay, well, I'll just give it go again and come with another one attack. And then it's just huge in the late game on, on in those situations. Like, it, it's small, but, like, it's, like, people were, like, pissed off that they pulled it. It's, like, it's it's reasonable, like... It's not fantastic, but it's not mono unplayably bad. So I'd say it's still underrated in the late game scenarios. Yeah, I'd a thousand times rather open the Seeker's Boots, but there, there are scenarios where that card is, is useful. <laughs> yes, I just wanted to give a shout out. Yeah, I think it's a fair card. shout. All right, let's uh, rattle through some some tips for gameplay in this format. Try and give you know as much sort of of our knowledge that we kind of learned over the weekend as possible. First question, for, so I'm just going to rattle through some questions. We'll kind of both uh, tackle some of these and try and you know give give some like I say some advice on this. Uh, first versus second in this format. What do you think is correct? Second in an assassin mirror. First into Riptide, and I don't know the other matchups. I will say though, when you go first in the Rip side, don't let them trigger their traps because <laughs> then they just get to have a five card hand for no reason. And that's a bad idea. Yeah. And so the reason for first into those is because probably more of a fatigue matchup. So try and take some of the cards by then blocking. And then I guess on the flip side of that, Assassin, actually now that people are all on the pile matchups, it's not really that fatigue. It's actually the, the tempo going second now that people are building the decks a bit more quickly is more important. Yes, absolutely. Getting those, getting that, actually having the threatening spider bites is pretty big. Yeah. And actually, you, uh, it's actually better, I think, going second 
if you have good threat density because you're actually you're offering the the first point of damage with threat density so you can actually again back to fatigue by damage forcing your opponent to start having to make some decisions as opposed to maybe just throwing away their worst cards yeah um, I, I i think arachne would go second into riptide actually because right. yeah, you can utilize your hand better. Yes, yeah, a lot better. Yeah, and that's one of the tough things about going second. Sometimes you can't utilize your hand, and that's why I think you know with the margins with fatigue going first winds up being yeah. on the net net better. Uh, okay. Uh, does pitching or pitch stacking or pitching for second cycle matter? And to what degree does it matter versus you know just taking cards from your opponent in first cycle? I think it's huge. I, I did it all the time. So the best things I like to pitch is the blue. So even just a blue threat, like a blue cut down to size or a blue wreak havoc. Flitch the blue or, Yeah, those cards, that card as well in that deck. That's not really, a, that's not like a pitch stacking card because no. it's just like a strong late game card. But like if I can pitch like a blue dominate guy with the, a blue bat, you know, threat to come in that comes in for four, that's really nice. So that's what I was trying to do in the late game. And if my hand was like kind of weak, I would just like pitch a react, pitch like Razor's Edge or something into, into the later game where it's more valuable. Yeah, um, I think I agree. I think it, it's definitely relevant. Like what you pitch, I go back to that concept of kind of like mindfully pitching. Like you want to be aware of the kind of cards you're pitching. You don't want to make your pitch tech too awkward because you are in a lot of matchups in this format going to get back to second cycle. I think actually we're like really specific pitch stacks matter more as in riptide which you talked about at the start of this kind of pod about playing riptide versus playing an assassin versus a ninja for instance is like you will have to set up some like arrow plus pump some good sort of evasion in the late game which i think is um is a lot more important in riptide as opposed to maybe the assassins it's just about sort of like threat density and having a win condition at the end because you can actually just, just you cannot have a win condition as assassin you can actually just like run out of ways to win the game yeah, definitely. So your blues are really important. Another card, now that we're talking about switching and using Azuri's effect, the most underrated card, I pulled it up because the name of not gonna dreaming. It, it's it's literally the per it's like the trippy as it looks trippy as. It's called Destructive Deliberation. When this hits a hero, create a ponder token and attacks for five. The red one of that is ridiculous. Like that card can just be lava burst because it replaces the card that you pitch to cast it or the card that you put on the bottom. Oh, I got people so many times with that card and it just won games. I yeah. just wanted to bring that up as an underrated card. That card was one of the best cards for me all weekend. If you explain that card to me and then like you did and ask me the name, I, that's literally the one card I think in the set that I cannot for the life of me remember the name of. But I agree that I was really underwhelmed by the yellow one because of just some yeah. some breakpoint things in, in this game. But the red one was just like so impactful and the, the five power and like you say, switching with Zuri, playing it. Like it, yeah, just if they don't block it, they're just in so much trouble. And sometimes that means they have mm -hmm. to three card block it, which is yeah 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 definitely especially if they know that it's that you have it in your deck for the in the late game oh yeah uh do you want to hit, hit him with the peter pan shoes <laughs> Go do, on do, Neverland, you have, baby. do you have a nickname for destructive uh deliberation uh i only just thought about it now but it's pretty trippy it's a trippy card, <laughs> trippy I don't know, card. I, I, all, all i can think of is like different kinds of drug names that that i that i feel when i you know so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give uh, it a nickname all right we'll leave that one <laughs> Do you want to uh, give any tips on fatiguing by damage? Like, what are the ways that you make sure that you kind of get, I'm going to call it card economy, like get better card economy than your opponent to, to ensure that you are not the one that gets fatigued by damage effectively? It's so hard to explain. Yeah. 
there's as I said, it's such a balance. Like you have Thanos there with his these little thing that balances all things should be. It's very hard to explain it. I, I probably couldn't do I probably couldn't do it justice, to be honest. It's just playing a lot of guards decks like Guardian, it just kind of comes to you when you play those kinds of decks a lot. But just use the most cards in, uh, efficiently as possible. Also, don't use your threats blindly because, like, you don't know what cards they've got in their deck. Like, if you come in with a destructive deliberation and they just peace of mind you, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> so, like, you really want to play patiently. You don't want to overblock, but you also don't want to underblock. Just use the cards as best as you possibly can. I try not to block with reds at all if you can help it, because they're just going to force the most cards out of the opponent. Um, the best cards to save late game is Feisty Locals. Their cards so good. Because um, when they're on three, they're blocking with cards. So, stuff like that for the late game is very good. Yeah. yeah. So, I'd say that is a good idea. Yeah, I think the it's really it's really hard i i agree it's such a concept right i think it comes a bit more naturally as you play and as things start to evolve and sometimes it's about taking a little bit of damage here so that you can utilize a card in a slightly more efficient way on offense to then potentially take a really important card from your opponent it can be about saving this defense reaction because you know there's a more important card to come or you feel that you can get more value out of it sometimes you feel like your arsenal's too important it, it's going to depend on the deck it's going to depend on what your opponent's playing it's going to depend on how, your play style as well like me and nick were talking i was definitely we were both talking about this kind of concept of fatigue by damage and we we're both seeing it happen a lot in our games both playing assassin but i was saying after me and nick played i felt that i was playing a lot more aggressively than nick nick's a lot more patient player played a lot more guardian and understand this concept a lot better than me i think and i was trying to do this by being a lot more aggressive so i was Nick was saying, you know, my games, some of my games haven't been particularly close on a life total standpoint, but, you know, the decks are lower, where I was saying my games have been a lot closer on life total standpoint, but I just have so much more card economy in my in my deck than my opponent. So there's also, you know, based on the way you play, I think this will, this concept will, will change. And I'm sure we'll have more to say on this concept, I think, in the future, but this format's still evolving. It's, um, it's not easy, but I think some of the tips Nick gave there, like the biggest one, I think, is just like, if you can, don't defend with your reds. Those are so important for winning games. Yeah especially in sealed where you don't have a choice of what reds you you have yeah uh i mean we, we could talk a little bit about how to play turn cycles do you have any kind of tips for like, i guess just defending spiders bites not defending spiders bites like how do you kind of utilize is there any kind of tips you have there it really depends on your hands versus the opponent's hands i'm not really going to defend the first one if they have a full hand because they're very likely just going to attack with the other spiders bite that i can just block and negate the first one and then they're just using four resources to attack for two damage and i just lost a card right I, I lost one card from hand which was probably the worst card in my hand so i'm up in that exchange so if they're attacking it depends on my hand structure like if i have a defense react that's why it's so important to have if, like attacks that block for three but aren't attack actions because it gives you so much more agency in what you can and can't block with it's very likely that you have to block the spider spider if you have a bunch of block two attack actions because then you're just going to get, you could just possibly get destroyed. So, very important to have things like come to fight. If you're lucky, you can get burden of the whatever, the majestic, play that too. Uh, all, the, all the reactions are very good. The attack reacts that block three are very good just because they're not attack actions. So, definitely, they, they influence whether you do want to block the spider spider. Yep, yep. 
good advice again it depends <laughs> yeah it's, it's just it's so contextual yeah the most important thing is if you have four non-attack if you have four attack actions that are block two you probably have to block spiders by it if they have five cards you probably don't have to because they're definitely going to be forced into more than likely going to be forced into attacking with the second spider's bite so you just block with the, one of your block two attack reacts for one or attack actions for one yeah. but yeah as i said if you have non-attacks in your hand or a defense react who cares spider's bite doesn't do anything yeah. so whatever you're fine just to not block it Yep, the power of non-attack actions, reactions, defense reactions uh, in this format is great. Uh, I guess, is there anything else you want to say about sealed? One thing I want to say is if you, so me and, me and Nick did play three sealed pools each. Uh, we kind of a bit short on time. We're going to talk a bit about draft in this pod and kind of our first thoughts on draft. So we won't go over any of our sealed pools from the weekend. But if you do want to see a video of me and Nick putting together a sealed pool and, and Nick sort of guiding you through how he looks at building sealed and outsiders, mm -hmm. uh, then check out the video that we're just going to pop up alongside with this pod on Arsenal Pass. And you can see Nick talk through along with myself what, you know, putting together a sealed pool, basically all the things that he looks at and, uh, you know, how to get the most out of a sealed pool. But yeah, Nick, I thought of you anything else you want to say about seal before we move on to some first thoughts on draft? Yes, play your skirmish season, play your sealed <laughs> skirmishes, and have an absolute banger of a time. That's my best advice. There we go. All right, next up, we're going to move through to first look at outsiders draft, and we're, something that's going to start is going to be a feature on this podcast, unlimited time only, Nick, and you're going to be the first person to do it. Is we are going to do pack one, pick one with Nick Butcher. So uh, I'm going to crack a pack right now. And uh, we're going to cut to that, and you're going to see Nick deciding what cards to take. All right, for our audio listeners, the pack that we crack in this pack one, pick one with Nick Butcher is Yellow Scout the Periphery, Red Widowmaker, Blue Come to Fight, Red Blick, Back Heel Kick, Yellow, Spire, Sniping, Blue Ravenous Rabble, Yellow Infectious Host, Blue Surging Strike, Red Sedate, Blue Brush Off, Equipment is Seeker's Hood, our uh, hybrid card is Blue Virulent Touch, and then we have Red Toxicity and Infoil. Red, destructive deliberation. All right, pack one, pick one with Nick Butcher. Nick has the pack here. I cracked it uh, so we could go straight into it. It's up on screen now. Nick, talk us through your kind of thoughts on this pack. So because I like, I think staying open is very important in this format, as I think a lot of people have discussed. Uh, I wanted to look at the class cards, and I think I, I kind of do want to memorize what the cards are if I can. So if I can, I can see that there's a Widowmaker and a Red Black Heel Kick, which is probably going to get taken later. I don't think they influence my decision whether I'm playing Ninja or Ranger, so I don't think they're that impactful. Sedate's another also kind of just average red. I, I do want to stay open. I, th as I, I think Destructive Deliberation is a fantastic card. Mm -hmm. I think it's very, very good. I think Seekers was also a very good card. Uh, I don't... I, what's it compete with in the head slot? I so don't think much. it competes with... Really? It's yeah, the, the it's got very important. It's all the assassin masks. It's the mask of many faces and uh, and it's the ranger head as well. So it has the most competition okay. in the head slot. I think I personally think it's the okay. weakest of the seekers. Okay. Uh, I, I found the, the, the ninja... I find the masks that have blade break to just be blade break. So I... Many faces, I think, is going to be very good. Yeah, many faces and draft, very sorry. good. And yes, draft. yes. I, I agree with that. My first inkling is to take Destructive Deliberation. I think that card's just fantastic. Come to Fight's also very good, but it's blue. I don't think I want to commit to it as a first pick, even though it's a non-attack action, blue block three. I, I want to take a decent generic red. I think Destructive Deliberation is super underrated. I, I, I'm probably just taking that. I, I think it's a very good card in nearly every class because Kadachi comes in for one and Destructive Deliberation comes in for five. And that's, a, that's a two for six cards. They have to block with multiple cards. And as we said, there's a lot of block twos in this format. That they have to use and a lot of the good block threes are cards that people want to keep mm -hmm. so yep like 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 your your red sedates and your 
uh, Widowmakers and things like that. What? Just one card I want to ask you about. I, I, I feel the same. I think Destructive Exploration might be the best card in the pack, or at least the best sort of first first pick, like you say. What about Infectious Host? You spoke really highly of that card, uh, your chickenpox cards, you like to say before. Is it because this is yellow, this isn't really a consideration, or is it a consideration, but it's just not as good as something like Destructive Deliberation? Nah, ye- yellow, I, I just can't. I, I couldn't take... I just couldn't in my soul take yellow as a first pick. That blocks two. I, I just... I know, I couldn't do it. I think it's I'd rather just force a class at that point. Yeah. Take something like the Widowmaker or the Sedate. Yeah, yeah. The or the red one though. The red one I'd snap yeah, over sure. anything else. For sure. Right, let's uh let's end this pod, this limited time on the episode two, with some first thoughts on Outsiders Draft. Thank you for playing Pack One Pick One, by the way, as well. Uh gonna be an ongoing feature on Limited Time Only and Nick, you were the first Pack One Pick One. So what do you think is gonna happen in Outsiders Draft? And what I wanna ask you first is how do you think people will draft? I think people will force Arachne early because it's unpunishing just to take a sedate there and just say, okay, well, it's a red go-again attack that comes in for three and blocks for three. I don't think that's very strong. I think your threat density is very low if you do that. A lot of things are going to be able to just beat you up if you if you do that with Arachne. So, but I think people are going to go with that first. I also think a lot of people who force Ninja in Uprising will force Ninja again in this in this set. Just because I think a lot of people are unsure how staying how well Ninja will go if you stay open, and how open can you be to Benji slash uh, Katsu? It's it's very interesting, right? Um, so I think early format, I think it's fine to force a class yep. because it's just the best way to learn what cards are good and bad. But I think people will end up staying open in pack one, and when I say staying open, I mean like. They'll have their dual class cards, so they'll in they'll in pack one they'll be in ranger slash assassin or ninja slash ranger. Or I don't I don't think there is I don't know. There's not a third. But, yeah, it's just it's just okay. the the two assassin yeah. slots. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people will say open in that in that way, and then in pack two people will choose a class, and then who knows maybe even in pack three that's when they'll decide which of their two class heroes they want to go into based off what they've gotten in the in the draft already so it's super interesting you could you could not even be on your hero until pack three or late pack two yep yeah i i think that's definitely gonna how it's gonna start i think people are not really gonna know what archetypes look like so they're just gonna know what maybe good looks like in terms of just what good cards look like and it's gonna lean people to playing getting into a class maybe staying somewhat open but then you know like yeah getting into a class finding the best cards taking just good red cards but I think once we get down the road and we start to find archetypes, it's going to be really interesting because Benji is one that stands out to me. Benji gets really warded, mm-hmm. rewarded for some of these yellow on-hit effects that are going to be a lot yep. lower priority for Akatsu, for instance, um, even in the generic slot, lower for decks that you know potentially want that card. So that is something that I think is going to be interesting. You know, Riptide versus Azalea. That I think that feels quite different to me in, in drafts. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how people... I think people are going to... I think the, the, the heroes that people are going to avoid to start with is benji azalea riptide like i think those would be the least drafted of the of the six is my kind of feeling especially for week one week two potentially i think people are going to prioritize traps though and i think traps people can get a lot of traps and play into riptide a lot a lot of riptide decks i I think just looking at spire sniping i think azalea is a lot better if you can get a lot of spire snipings because you are able to just consistently get dominated attacks off and then you have arrows in the late game so Spire sniping is a very like in this pack. If I if if I, if a pack was coming to me later on, I'd choose spire sniping over widowmaker. Pretty sure just because it makes my 
more consistent as earlier deck better so yeah you just load that and then you find you know <clears throat> you get to put top two cards you deep back in any order and put that arrow mm -hmm. dominated and just yeah I, I think i think you're right i think that card's gonna be i was touting the blue as a really important card for azalea uh one that you oh, can absolutely. yeah pitch early and then set up for your you don't have to pitch deck perfectly you can actually just like find the cards late game which is pretty important yeah i think that card in every color is just going to be very very early pick if people are especially pack two and three where people are deciding which uh, range they want to go into yep and the red one's great it's just like okay well i'll load this and if maybe i'll find a dominant arrow or not i'll just come up for five yeah, yeah. like it's it's still really good um what are you thinking like is this something that you're going to favor in particular are you going to you talk about staying open when you're drafting that are you just going to see how things come or is this something that you kind of have your eye on from like a thing that you think is going to be more powerful than maybe other sort of archetypes or heroes uh, i think katsu will be the most powerful but i think it's too risky to force it because you just don't know and you can get screwed over really badly um so i'm just going to stay open from the start and just take things as they go and if you get bad drafts at the start, whatever, take losses, you know, that's how you learn. Stay open because it's when you, it's your early picks. If you can record your drafts and like figure out what you picked early and whether you'd pick that again, that's a huge learning experience. Yeah, fair. I mean, some people might want to win immediately, Nick. So maybe we can, we can give them a little <laughs> advice. <laughs> well, I want to ask you about Katsu. Why, why do you think Katsu uh, is potentially the, the most powerful thing you can be doing in this draft? Although maybe risky as well, like you say. Yeah, it's just, if you can get your Twin Twisters early, if you can get Head Jab early, you get Surging Strike early, and then all of a sudden you're getting past Descendant Gust Wave, or you'll start, you get Bonds, and then you can get into the, the Descendant Gust Wave, you don't even need Surging Strike, or you can get those B-like Waters. Mm -hmm. You can see, I, the name, I know the names of all of these cards, because <laughs> you, you know what I've been playing. <laughs> um, it, they're just, that's where you get a very high ceiling deck, where you could just instantly win a draft, because you just have the best red combinations, because you forced it early and no one else went into it, that's the best, the, the highest ceiling deck. But I think Azuri is very consistent because I think the strong early picks are the two for sixes, the destructive deliberation. Mm -hmm. And so, like, Azuri really makes use of those cards, especially because things like the blue or the yellow stealth cards are probably going to get wheeled, potentially wheeled, maybe like at pack, a pick six or seven. Mm -hmm. So, if you can invest in the two for sixes, and then later in the draft, you can start taking those late pick blue and yellow stealth cards that the others, that the, the what are, what's his other guy? Arachne doesn't right. want. Then you're going to also have a very powerful deck, which is why staying open is pretty important as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. so, I mean, I had this on my questions, but can you stay open in this draft? You Obviously, you think you can because you think it's important. How, how open can you stay? Like, how late do you think you can stay open? I think... You can say open until the end of pack one, I think. You can say open in two classes because, as you can see, in this pack alone, you have Destructive Liberation as a first pick. If that gets taken early, you can take a Come to Fight or a Seeker's Hood. You even have Virulent Touch, which I think is a fine blue, especially because it's a zero. It's, it's well, I guess a zero cost doesn't matter, but like it's an Assassin slash Ranger blue, which is great in the later game. Infectious Host is still fine. And then even, I mean, then you can start just taking... At that point, it's, what, pick five? I mean, Rare Toxicity is still in the pack, which might just be an Azalea card, but, you know... It... Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it is, yeah, it, you can stay open with that card as well. Mm -hmm. It is also could be decent in, in something like Azuri in drafts if you have a lot more cards to swap in and out. Yeah. But, yeah, in this pack alone, you could be open in two classes up to pick six, so... Yeah. And then you, you don't even know what hero you're going to play at that point. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you can also, I mean, I'm someone who's not afraid to hedge picks. Like, you know, I'm yeah. not committed to playing my first pick. I think that's something that I know you, I think with the strength of this pack, there's nothing in the classes that's really outstanding. You know, like there's no, yeah. you know, there's like a red sedate, right? A red widow maker. These cards aren't particularly exciting, but if there was something like, you know, a, a red withering shot, for instance, like that might entice me to maybe hedge the, the ranger card a bit more. And then if I don't end up playing it, you know that that's fine i'm not married to my first pick just because i first pick something doesn't mean i'm immediately in that class it just means that i think it's the best card in the pack overwhelmingly and i want it and if i play it i play it yeah and that's that's what's the thing about saying that's why i want to kind of memorize my pick one my pack one just so i know what's coming back to me and what's been taken and that gives me a lot of information coming into pick nine which is with five cards left in the pack like if there's still a spy sniping still in the in the in the pack in pick nine it's a, you're very enticed to go into an Azalea deck, right? Because that's a pretty high priority card for that hero. Yep. What do you think about this idea of... So in, if I use Uprising, for example, uh, packs were a lot easier to map in terms of the fact that uh, distribution of the pack was a lot more set. So you, you basically knew what you were going to get because of the... Um, what are the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, what are the red-only cards called? Oh my goodness, it's been so long since I've played Uprising. Iconic. Yeah, the Draconic cards, and so you knew Ice Draconic, you knew the, the class, the structure of the pack was a lot more set as opposed to this, which is a lot more like Welcome to Wraith, where there is a, there's a guidelines, there's, you know, a general structure of 9 to 10 common cards that can be 2 to 4 generics, it can be 1 of a class card, it can be 3 of a class card, you can have 1 rare, you can have 3 rares, uh, so do you think it's going to be more important that you check the wheel, like get signals from the wheel as opposed to get signals from cards missing from packs effectively like you did in Uprising? Yeah, I think the wheel is pretty important. Uh, especially, I, I think the pack distribution is two ranger, two ninja, and then it's either two uh, assassin, three generic, or one assassin, four generic. I think that's what... People will figure it out quickly, right? When they start opening their their, their packs and yeah. doing drafts and figuring all that out. I posted on Twitter because I'd heard of people having one class card in their packs. So I'm, I'm not certain. So at the time of recording, we're, we're not 100% sure of what the yeah. pack distribution exactly is. Um, yeah. Yeah, because this one's two ninja, two ranger, uh, four generic, one assassin. Yeah. Yeah, there's one hybrid card. Yeah. So I, I definitely know the yeah, back yeah, of the pack there's is... There's one dual class, yeah. one dual class, one yeah. equipment, one rare, one majestic slash rare, one foil, yeah. Yes, but there is. Uh, you can also just get one rare in the pack as well. Confirmed. Oh, really? Confirmed by Brian Gottlieb, uh, designer of the set, is that there are packs that have... And I saw it. I I, uh, I don't think I have one personally, but I saw it across from me. Someone opened a one rare pack, but then they opened a three rare pack as well. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very okay. interesting. Because yeah. the rares are very powerful in they this are. set. Which yep. is great. That's why I think they've done it, to be honest. It's because yeah, of, in yeah. Uprising, it's a rare was taken. Oh, it's Fighting Spirit. That's that's yep. it. <laughs> wow. Or a dragon. Ice Vein, maybe. That's a common. <laughs> oh, yep. Never mind. Played like a rare, <laughs> didn't it? Yep. Uh, yeah. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Then that, that's interesting that you don't know exactly what's what's happening. Yeah. The, the, my my feeling is that yes, you can stay open, and staying open is going to be good because I think the most information you're going to gather is off the wheel. It's not off of signals being sent your way because. Uh, pack distribution is not as set as it was in Uprising. So it's going to be really interesting to find out. I can't wait to get into some drafts. Uh, me and Nick are going to be sitting down at some point this weekend once this yeah. is released and, and doing a couple of drafts, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I think definitely. When the set comes out. And... Also, I, also, I want to learn about this set. One final thing is that in Uprising, we found a lot of people found that 
brothers in arms and blaze headlong were like sort of stuck in sim mm. in the same pack a lot of the time so if you've got past the brothers in arms pick two you probably have to assume that if if obviously if it's a generic or a draconic that's been taken that blaze headlong was taken the first pick so that i i don't know if that's going to happen with this set but it's definitely is something to think about because that did happen in yeah there's a print run link where the yeah. the cards were always next to each other in a print run yeah um yeah, cool. Okay, let's uh, just finish off this. We've talked a bit about draft. We've given our tips on sealed. Uh, hopefully, those really help people heading to skirmish and kind of just our recap from pre-release. Pack on pick ones. We obviously, if we did play pack on pick one, why don't you throw some cards our way? Cards that you're on the lookout for. Pack on pick one. Maybe you you talked about staying really open. You like you like the idea of staying open. So, what are some cards? Maybe pack on pick one that you're prioritizing high. They're going to keep you open. Uh, I will play on hard mode and not pick death touch because that's sure. the obvious pick on pack one. I'm I'm gonna scroll through the list. I'm very professional like that. Sure. Um, Obviously, come to fight Reds are very. Yeah, destructive liberation is a great pick one pack one card. I think come to fight Reds also a pretty strong pick one pack one card because it does block for three and it is plus three, so it's great in range. It's also just very good in everything, to be honest. Um, the two for sixes are also very good. Cut down to size is a great, a great common. Um, Humble. Humbles are rare, but yes, that is very good. Wreck Havoc is... All of them are good. They're just on rate cards. Like, they just come in for six, and they help with a lot of decks. Like, Ninja will, will love that card. Uh, Ranger loves that card just because it is just an on rate card. And Assassin loves that card too because you just swap it in. So they're very good pick one, pack one cards. Um, I, I, I don't... Oh, the, oh, the equipment is... Three bed I tunic. love the equipment. That's the one I was going to say. I yes. think three bed tunic is... Tunic top of the near top of the list for me with death touch yeah. and cards like that yeah if silken geese in my pick one i might just take it because and hedge that i'm not going to get a threadbare tunic it's sort of the same as the upright what's the uprising card that everyone snapped in oh, I, uh sash of sandakai yeah sash of sandakai similar, yeah 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 that, that so i might just take a silken gi as i pick one pack one um i also like prioritizing maybe not pick one but the seeker's equipment especially the seeker's legs mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, the Seeker's arms are very good as well. Yes. Um, because that means my peace of mind's in even in yellow, uh, pretty decent mid to late game picks that really will help my deck and synergize with the equipment I've taken already. So I might look to taking an early pick uh, Seeker's equipment. Even Fisty Cuffs is very good. I, I just think equipment this this set is uh, very good to take, especially because a lot of them are the, the dual class ones. Yep. Yep. I feel the same. Uh, I might just add some cards. I mean... I think like Red Withering Shot is a card that stood out to me all weekend from the Rangers that just had so much impact. Um, that's the Which one's that? that's the frailty token. So oh yeah, comes no, up for five, but if it has an aim counter at six and it gives a frailty token, uh, frail yeah, frailty token on hit. I think that you know we talked about three bear tunic. I think Seeker's legs, those as you talked about, are really important cards. Uh, some some other like class cards I might just shout out is uh, I know you talked about Hurl early on and it's at, at rare. Yeah. Um, I think some cards that I'm looking to avoid are like the attack reactions in particular. I like yeah. I kind of agree with you. I don't think they're particularly great first picks. Uh, although at least uh, no, they're, they're range of the the, the the good ones are assassin. Sorry, so I don't even particularly want to take those. I'd be more like red surging strike is a card I would definitely consider first picking mm -hmm. um, in a in a weaker pack. But yeah, I think like, we've kind of nailed some of the most important cards. I'm not that keen on like red sneak attack or even yellow sneak attack like a uh, good cards, but I'm not that keen on taking a lot of the red stealth cards first pick. Like maybe Infect or Wither. 
Yeah, even Prowl, if you want, if you're going for Arachne, Arachne in yeah. red, but like, yeah. It's so oh. bad and, and not Arachne, though. Also, average. Seek Horizon. That was okay. shit in Monarch. I love that card in this set. Seek Horizon's sick. I might take a Seek Horizon first All pick. Right. It's just always strong. And Snake, the Snake Boy. Oh, yeah, Spring Load. Yeah, good, good shot. Boy. That card was yeah. as good as I thought it was going to be, so. Yes. So many good cards. So many good cards. All right, well. I can't wait to get drafting. Nick can't wait to get drafting. I uh, want to say, Nick, a big thank you for coming and joining me on Limited Time Only. We had a great conversation on Seal. We talk a lot of Limited, to be honest. We talked a lot of Limited during our prizing, and you're someone that probably the person I talked the most about Limited with, so it was cool to, to have you on and, and share some thoughts. So thanks for coming on. Hey, man, the pleasure was all mine. I, there's a reason I talk to you a lot as well, you know? I love your thoughts. Cool guy. And if, uh, if people want to find you, uh, you on Twitter? Uh... Yeah, I am on Twitter. Don't follow me. Trust me. Uh, I'm just yeah. It's not. It's it's you. You're better off not following me. So at Fab School Nick. <laughs> yeah, your handle's down below your face. So unfortunately, even if you didn't want people to follow you, they're gonna follow you. So and make sure you check out the video of me and Nick going through a seal pool on Arsenal Pass. Until next time, we'll see you in the next episode.